This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Well, good morning. Thank you, guys. As you guys notice, there's a little different look of our normal worship band. We have some of our usual players, but in different roles and different spots. And I, for one, am extraordinarily grateful that uh, when I found out that our entire pretty much usual worship team and both of our main worship leaders and pastors were going to be away this weekend, uh, I was a little nervous, and I kept asking what the plan was, and I kept being assured by Sean that there's a plan. There's a plan. Um, but Joe, Julie, Emilio, Rafiq, thank you so much for leading us this morning, and I'm so grateful that we have you here. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Joe Lowy. I'm one of the elders here at Mill City. Our, our pastor and usual preacher, Chris, is uh, up or down on the Cape, I should say, with our college student section, which largely is missing right here. So thank you all for filling in the gap there. Um, and so I have the pleasure and the honor of uh, discussing uh, what God has taught me this week on the spiritual discipline of stewardship. So for the past several weeks, we as a church have been looking at God's word with a focus on spiritual disciplines. Uh, spiritual disciplines are simply the practices of the maturing Christian in order to be more like Jesus. You could think of it as if you were an athlete training to go to the Olympics in Tokyo this summer. If you were trying to do that, you would need a workout plan, a diet plan, and you need to stick to that plan and execute it because, let's face it, becoming the best gymnast in the world doesn't happen overnight while you watch Netflix and eat McDonald's. It takes really hard work and it takes discipline every day to stick to those horrible diets and work out all the time. Now, we as Christians have a similar path. In fact, Paul, in a lot of his writings, likens the Christian walk to running a race. But our finish line isn't a ticket to Tokyo, and it's not even the medal podium. Our end goal is to become more and more like Jesus with every day that we're given on this earth. And so far, the spiritual disciplines that we have looked at are silence and solitude, scripture intake, prayer, and fasting. And if you've missed any of those, I highly recommend you go on our website, millcitychurch.net. You can listen to them there or our podcast as well. But this week, we're going to be seeing what God has to say in his word about stewardship. And you'll note that I put it's in, we're going to be looking at various scripture. I know it's unbelievably vague. Uh, when it comes to this topic, God talks about stewardship all over the Bible. So we're going to be jumping around a bit. If you want to play Bible drill and keep up with your own Bibles, that's great. Uh, we'll have most of it on the screen here for your benefit. A lot of my notes from today have actually come from a book called The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney, and we actually have some copies of that here uh, after today. If, you've heard what, if you like what you've heard and you want to read more about that, uh, come talk to me, and uh, I can probably get you a copy. Now, the word stewardship is not something that we use in everyday language. I don't think many of us talk about the kind of steward we're going to be this week. You probably don't see it on Twitter that often, um, but with something that is in God's Bible. It actually comes from a Greek word, and forgive me for those of you that have studied Greek. Uh, the word is oikonomia, which means the management of a household. Now, in the ancient world, a steward would be the person who managed the household of a wealthy or important person. Uh, and that included watching over all of their possessions, making sure their servants are working as they should be, making sure everything is clean and in place, that their finances were in order, that all their cattle was accounted for, and even that the, the public view of them, the face of that family, of their household, was uh, appropriate in the way it should be. You could think of it almost like a celebrity's high-level, high-paid uh, assistant. Uh, they're the person that makes sure they look good, they take care of all the nitty-gritty, so that this person just gets to be important and famous. Now, they were trusted with everything because that they proved themselves worthy 
Now, a great example of someone in this position of steward in the Bible is uh, Joseph and Potiphar. And that's uh, in Genesis chapter 39. Now, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery because they were jealous of him. Uh, It's a great story to read. I recommend you read the whole chapter and that whole section on Joseph. Um, But we're going to look at his life, what happens. He was sold into slavery, and from there he was sold to this guy Potiphar. And uh, we're going to look specifically at verses 2 through 4 now. The Lord was with Joseph. He became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master, who was Potiphar. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Now, Joseph was a slave in this scenario, but he was in charge of everything, absolutely everything, because he was great at his job because God blessed him. And this was a guy that Potiphar was like, yes, I trust you with everything. You're my guy. And actually, he was so trusted that if we read farther in verse 6, it says that Potiphar, who was kind of a big guy, um, had nothing to worry about other than the food he was going to eat that day. So Joseph did a great job. Here's the thing. Of all the stuff that Joseph looked over, the crops, the cattle, the household, the servants, the other servants, he didn't own anything. None of it was his. He was just a slave. But he took his job seriously, and because of that, he was praised by his master. So when you think of the word stewardship, you can think of a house manager and you can think of Joseph. But we can actually go even farther back in time to look at the first stewards in Genesis chapter 1. We look at Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1, after God created the earth, everything in it, the mountains, the seas, the trees, all the animals, he then created man. In Genesis 1.26, we see God say, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So now Adam and Eve, they, they had no claim to anything that they... Once they came into existence and their eyes saw it, you know, they saw the first dog, the first cat, the first palm tree, and and they couldn't say, that's mine, because they didn't make it. It wasn't theirs. But God gave them the right to oversee it and to manage his very creation. Uh, Kind of pseudo example of this I thought of would be um, babysitting. Now, uh, I have a three-year-old son named Travis and a two-month-old daughter named Dalen. And every now and then, myself and my wife, Lauren, try to go out for date nights and in order for that to happen, we need kids not to be with us. <laughs> so for that to happen, I need to invite someone into my home to care for my children, make sure Travis goes to bed on time, make sure Dalen is well taken care of and protected from Travis, um, make sure my dog Jada has something to eat so she's not completely left out, and, and, I, need them, and I trust them with all those things. Now, when, when I invite Rafik and Alicia over to do that, Travis and Dalen don't become their kids and, and Jada doesn't become their dog, although you can have her if you want. <laughs> but they don't own it, but they're managing that for me. They're being stewards of what I've put in their care. So that is what stewardship is. That is what a manager of a household looks like. And that leads us to the central truths that are going to be our backbone for today, everything that we look at. And the very first one is that God possesses everything. God possesses everything. Everything is his. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Maybe you're like me and you like the NIV translation a little more. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
But not just the writers of Psalms, but God himself agrees with this because he says in Job 41.11, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Now there's really not much left for interpretation here. That's, that is pretty much a global umbrella. Everything in the world, everything you see is his, including you. Look around you today when you leave church and you're seeing the buildings and the trees and the other cars and the other people and you go to your home, you open your fridge and you see your food. Look at your spouse, look at your friends. Everything is God's. However, we do have some things in our care. Just because everything is God's doesn't mean we don't have anything to do with it. We do care for our homes, even things in our pocket, like our phones that we say are, they're ours. So if God owns everything, but we also have things that we would call ours, we could say that God provides everything. And that's the next truth. God provides everything. Since he possesses everything, and we have things, they must come from him. God provides everything. Everything that we call ours is a gift from God. James chapter 1 writes that God is uh, the giver of all good things. He's our ultimate and perfect provider. And that's why last, uh, a couple weeks ago actually, when Chris was talking about his practice of praying, he talked about how he would try when he wakes up in the morning to thank God for everything he saw for the warm water coming out of his shower head, for the clothes on his back, for the, the, even the sheets in his bed. And we can do the same. We can praise God for our clothes, for our homes, our food, our warm water, the breath in our lungs even, and even the internet. In Philippians 4, Philippians 4 Paul talks about being content in good times and in bad because he trusts in God and as the ultimate provider for him. But he also recognizes the Philippians for how they have supplied him what he needs. They were how God provided for him. He ends in verse 19 by encouraging them when they're in need by saying, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God possesses everything, and God provides everything that we need. And there are many, many more verses in the Bible how God provides everything. Now, it's safe to say that our perfect God doesn't make mistakes. So if he's giving us things to put in our care, there has to be a reason for that. And that's our next truth, it's that God has a purpose for everything. God has a purpose for everything. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in uh, the book of Colossians in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, where Paul writes about Christ's supremacy or his preeminence, depending on your translation. And I want to look specifically at verses 15 and 16 for our purposes today, because honestly, you could probably preach two or three sermons out of just those verses alone. So Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, and for him. So in this passage, we see that Jesus is the, the image bearer of God, and everything on earth that we see and that we don't see was made by him and through him. But the most important thing, the thing that I emphasized with my voice, was that everything, absolutely everything, was made for him, for his purposes, for his desires, for his glory. Everything ever created was and is for God and for his purposes and by his will. Our gifts, the worlds we see, 
our possessions, and our relationships, literally everything. God possesses everything, God provides everything, and God has a purpose for everything. Now that we have these three truths kind of supporting us for the day, we can see that as God's stewards, how we manage everything in our lives matters. So many things God has given us and he trusts us with. He trusts us with his creation, with the world, with the creatures, everything, with its resources. He trusts us with his gospel to be the ones to spread it across the world and share it with our neighbors. God trusts us and gave us our abilities and talents to use for his glory. That's on display today here for the worship team. The people that have the gift of taking care of children, especially my son in the back, they're using that for his glory. He's given us the gift of our relationships, and he's trusted with us to manage them. Honestly, even one thing I thought about, we were able to be stewards of our worship team because we gave them to a college retreat this weekend instead of keeping them for ourselves, and we still had awesome people to help us out today. But for our time today, we're going to focus on one major area in order to give us a more specific and focused application in our daily lives of the spiritual discipline of stewardship. Therefore, what we do with our money and our resources matters. What we do with our money and our resources matters. That's what we're going to focus on today. God owns everything on earth, as we already saw in Psalm 24.1 and Job 41.11. But this also includes money. And we see this actually in Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine, this is God talking, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, we don't deal with silver and gold today. So we could read that as, the bank card and the debit card is mine, and the Bitcoin is mine. Everything is God's. This is not just the money in your wallet or in your bank account. It includes everything that you bought with it, your resources too. Your home is God's. Your car, your CDs, if you still buy those. Uh, your TV, your Apple TV, your Blu-ray player, your soundbar. The clothes on your back and even your iPhone. Now you might be sitting there and the temptation is to say, no, wait a minute, Joe. I worked my tail off for 40 plus hours this week to buy these things with my money. I earned it. How is this God's money? Well, for that, I would have to kind of ask a couple more follow-up questions with who gave you the job. If we're going to believe in God's almighty provision and the sovereignty, he gave you the job. Who gave you the ability to do it well so that you could get paid and maintain your job? God. And who gives your employee the money to give you for doing the work for your employee? God. Ultimately, it all traces back to God. Everything is his, and the fact, that fact should cause us to think about how he would want us to use what we've been given. Now, I didn't always have this line of thinking, and it's something I still struggle with. I remember being in college, and, and any kind of technology thing, whether it was a camera or my PlayStation 1, like, I didn't really let people borrow that stuff, because that was my prized possession. I didn't want people to, to break it. And to be honest, I still struggle with wanting newer, nicer things. And I've been driving the same car for 13 years. Now, I'm very grateful for that car because my parents helped me get that. And my mom's here today. And I should be grateful and content to have a running car. But to be honest, I think if I would ask all of you in this room, you all struggle with contentment at some point in some area. <laughs> and you all want nicer, newer things. Please don't raise your hands. I know all your hands would go up. So to fight the struggle of worshiping the gifts instead of the giver, let's look outside of ourselves, outside of our me-centered culture, and let's see what God's word says when it comes to managing our resources. Because that's our ultimate source of truth. 
Because even well-meaning Christian friends can give you bad advice on how to spend your money and how to spend your resources because they want to see you happy. They want to see you get that newer, nicer truck. They want to see you get that bigger house, maybe. But they don't know your heart like God does. So the first thing we're going to look at what we do with our money and our resources, we provide for ourselves and our families. We provide for ourselves and our families. Now, it might be tempting for you to be out there today. As soon as I said the word money, you're like, oh, here we go. Joe's just going to talk about how we have to give everything and, and nothing is ours and we should just empty our wallets for Mill City Church today, right now. Now, I'm going to talk about giving, not exactly like that, later. But our God actually does care about our needs and the needs of those that we're responsible for. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul's addressing how the church should handle widows that have no one to support them. Those women, there's to be cared for and to be provided by the church. However, not all the widows were without family, and there must have been some that were asking the church for help that had active family that could be there for them. And Paul had some strong words about the kind of family that don't help people in need. In 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I mean, how selfish and cold do you have to be to let those in your own home go without the basic needs that they, that they have? Only someone that hasn't been transformed by Jesus and born again could ignore such needs of the people that God has made them responsible for. It could be due to laziness or selfishness, but either way, Paul is saying they're worse than an unbeliever. Now, we already acknowledge that God is the provider of everything we need, and one of the primary ways our needs are met is through the money that we earn. If you use the wages God gives you through your job on video games, a car lease that you shouldn't have, but you can't afford to feed yourself and your family, that's on you at that point. And as the opposite of a good steward. So we provide with our money, we provide for ourselves and our families. That's what God wants us to do. Another way that we show discipline with our money is by avoiding debt. The Bible talks about debt. Yes, it does. So we avoid debt. While we supply those that we love and ourselves with what we need, sometimes there can be a fine line that's easily crossed. Maybe you want to give that special person in your life, your wife, something expensive like jewelry, but you just can't afford it, but you do it anyway because you love her. Or maybe it's the same thing, but for yourself. You want that new MacBook, uh, whatever it could be, a bigger home, a new car, nicer clothes. Now, before I continue on that, please, please know that I'm not condemning shopping. I'm not condemning getting nicer things. God wants us to enjoy the things in this world that we can buy rightly. But what I'm talking about is overstretching yourself to get something that you don't need. So even if the heart behind the purchase is to give to others, the Bible actually has a clear view of avoidable debt. And we're talking about avoidable debt. We're not talking about situations that are out of your control. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrow, borrower is a slave of the lender. Not really great language for those who are in debt and borrow. Paul actually talks about this a little bit in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, that the goal of working, which you already talked about, to provide for yourself is, is to also not be dependent on other people, to not be in debt to other people. So if I were to sum up those two points of providing ourselves in debt, I would say 
We're to work hard enough to earn a living to provide for ourselves, to provide for those around us. But we're to avoid spreading ourselves too thin when it's possible. And that's what honors God. God cares for us, and he wants us to use our resources for ourselves, but not in a way that we overspend into debt. Not only because it's how we honor him, but because there's finite resources in the world, in your wallet, in your bank account. And with finite resources, if we're too busy spending all of it for ourselves and overreaching, well, we can't help other people. And that's our next point of what we can do with our money and our resources. We help those in need. We help those in need. Another reason we need to be wise and thoughtful with what we spend our money on beyond our basic necessities is because if we find ourselves in a place where we're now the ones who originally were providing for ourselves and due to our own vices are now the needy, we're taking the help that people that are actually needy could have taken. God provides for others through his people, and we need to be those people. We're the conduits of God's provision, and it's an awesome, great gift to get to do that. But if we're not wise with our money, how are we going to have enough to help other people? Let's look at a couple passages first to talk about helping those within the church. And that's the first thing we can do, how we can help people, is we can provide for our church family. We're going to look at that now. We can provide for our church family. Acts 4, 32 through 35 says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. Listen here. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds what was sold, laid it all at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to each as they had need. 1 John 3.17 says, <clears throat> But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Now going back to Acts, I'm not today saying that everybody in this church needs to go sell their home, bring all their money here, and we'll spread it out. That is a descriptive passage, not a prescriptive passage. But it does highlight how there was nobody needy within the church because they took care of each other. And in 1 John, it talks about even farther that if we have something as Christians and there's another Christian in our church, in our circle, that we know that needs something that we have and have the ability to give them and we decide not to, it says that we close our heart against them. 1 John writes, how does God's love abide in him? Where's the evidence of God's love? Now, I am so thankful that I have been in this church for all 10 years that we've been here, and I have seen God work through his people, specifically in giving in so many different ways, taking what they have and giving to those that need it in that moment, and it's beautiful. I've seen people help others with utility bills. <laughs> right now, there is a group of people gathering furniture to meet the needs of our missionary family, the Schwartzes, as they're coming back soon to get them everything they need so that when they come back to the States on furlough for three months, they have everything they need to live comfortably. Also, there's a couple in our church that is providing them with a home to stay in while they visit us in Lowell for that time. And probably one of the greatest examples that I got to be a part of 
was to see our church actually live out Acts 4, 32-35 and come together and give our resources together to, to do something that we couldn't do on our own and to buy a truck for one of our church members that desperately needed a new vehicle. There is definitely a priority placed on providing for those within the church family. And that's because it shows the love of Christ to a watching world. If people come into our church, if they talk to us and hear about us, that we don't take care of one another, what evidence is there that we would take care of anyone else? However, we don't ignore the world and we don't ignore other needs. We also look to help anyone in need. We don't just provide for our church family, we provide for anyone in need. Proverbs 3, 27 through 28 says, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Sounds a lot like 1 John three seventeen. The Bible's telling us that when we have something to offer as well to not just other Christians, but to the outside world, we're to give it. We're to help. We're to be his hands and feet to a needy world. Now, if I were to be able to do it, an asterisk, I would do that and say that we need to be wise in how we give, who we give it to, and how much, because unfortunately, there are sinful people in the world, both in organizations and individually that you may meet, that may use your funds, your God-given resources to poor gains. There are are great places like Compassion International and World Vision that give towards needy children and, and disasters. When you're looking to, to help those outside the church, when you're looking to help uh, bless the needs of those um, that are hurting, all I would ask and I think God would ask is to be wise and to look into how you're giving and to pray about it. I'm not going to tell you today what to do with your money or how to give it or anything like that, but if you are ever wondering or if you have questions, bring people into your life, talk to them about it, do your research, make sure that God's funds are going to a worthy place. Also, it's important to remember how much you give matters. Because if you give everything away and you can't take care of yourself and your family anymore, now you've become the needy and now more help is going to you. You need to remember that we need to be able to provide for ourselves without depending on others first. Now, since we talked about the money and our possessions and everything that we have aren't really ours to begin with, everything is God and he provides all of it, Really, shouldn't that make it easier for us to loosen our grip on what we call ours because it was never ours to begin with? Because we can trust God to provide for everything we have. That should make it easier for us to to open our hearts and help other people. And this brings us to our last point on the stewardship of money. After we provide for ourselves and our families, we avoid debt. We help those in need both inside the church and outside the church. We regularly and sacrificially give back to God. Now, this isn't last because it's the least important thing. It's actually probably one of the most important things. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 1 and 2, Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now, Paul is telling the, the, the church in Corinthians, uh, in, in Corinth, excuse me, uh, to follow the direction of Galatia, to have what they're going to give ready, uh, so that when he gets there, it's ready to go. 
He wanted them to be regular givers. And that's, that's something I've actually thought about a lot, that as Christians, we are to regularly give to Christ and his church. And as I, even as I was reading Donald Whitney's book, he, he had a really good point in there that maybe you get paid weekly or biweekly or even just monthly, and it's just easier, and this is what we do currently, to just write that one check to the church a month and you put it in, or maybe you do it online, and that's it. But there's something to be said about the worship of giving regularly. And he even talked about how though you write your main tithe check once or twice a month, that when you're in church on a Sunday, the act of even just giving some of the cash in your wallet, in your purse, that Sunday is a spiritual way that you worship God and you remind yourself and commit to God that you trust him with what you own and you give it back to him. The reason that we give is that the primary way God provides for his gospel to be spread to the nations and to pay the wages of his workers in the church and to maintain the churches is through these tithes and offerings. That's why we do it. We keep the doors open this way. We send the gospel to Scotland, to China, to Colorado, to India. And when it comes to giving back to our Father, though the how is just as important and maybe even more important as the how often. So our, our giving should be sacrificial, as we talked about, as you saw there. It's regular, it's also sacrificial. In Mark 12, Jesus is, is in the temple, and he, he's watching people give to the offering in the back. He sees a lot of rich people come in, and they're giving big sums of money, writing big checks. And then he sees a poor widow come in and drop in two copper coins. And he tells his disciples in verses 30, 43 and 44 of Mark 12, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Again, this is a descriptive passage, not prescriptive. And I did just say that God does not necessarily want us to give everything away so that we can't provide for ourselves. But God calls each one of us to different levels of sacrifice. The thing is, for something in order to be sacrificial in your life when you're giving, if you're going to call your giving today or next month or a year from now, a sacrifice, it actually has to be that. A sacrifice. We, we hear all the time about the 10% tithe. It is in the Bible. And you may have heard this before, but it bears repeating that the, the 10% is not the ceiling. That is not the goal. That's the floor. That is where you start, whether you are a college student working part-time, whether you're retired or you're a CEO. You start at 10%. Something that has always stayed with me, I read a book called Radical by David Platt. And when he talks about his chapter of, of giving, he says, the question isn't, uh, should I give 10%? The question that we ask ourselves is, do I dare keep 90 for myself? Do I dare keep 90% of what God has given me for myself and only give him 10? Now, maybe some applications for you as you hear that today are, you know, when my salary increases or I get a bonus, do I increase my giving? Maybe you've received a, a financial gift uh, for a birthday or Christmas, uh, maybe you're going to get a tax refund soon. Maybe you're not. <laughs> maybe you can give uh, a percentage of that. Maybe you're in a position where things are tight right now, like really tight, uncomfortably tight, and to even give a little bit would be a sacrifice. Whatever your place is today, and you, when you leave here, I don't want you hearing that the, the preacher was telling you you're not giving enough because there might be some of you here that are giving too much, 
And there might be some of you that are in a great place. It's all about your heart. And it's about that sacrifice. If there's not that tinge, even just a little bit as you give, then it's probably not that much of a sacrifice. And maybe you need to consider upping that. Now, as we talk about giving and we talk about blessings, uh, I just, a really quick aside, I want to talk, touch really quick on the, the prosperity gospel and the warning of that. Um, this is not to offend anyone who, who follows that in any way or knows people that do, but there is a teaching out there that I believe is extremely heretical, that as we give to God's kingdom or to his pastors or to his church, that God is going to bless us financially and we're going to be wealthy here today on earth and be kings. Um, the Bible talks about how God will bless us when we give. It really is not a specific place where it's guaranteed financial and material blessing when you give to God in the Bible. We can have blessing here on earth. It can take many forms. But ultimately, God's economy is on the spiritual things, and that's where you're going to be blessed both here on earth and later in heaven. God's, God's kingdom, and when we give to it, it's not a, uh, it's not a 401k. It's not, I give to this, it grows, and it gives it back to me. So our offerings are regular and sacrificial. They're not for just our good financially, but they actually need to come from a cheerful heart. They have to come from a cheerful heart. Cheerful heart. My goodness, that's a tough word today. And that kind of harkens back to the whole prosperity gospel thing. If the reason people are giving is because they want gains, that's not a cheerful heart. That's a selfish heart. Our offerings should come freely and from the heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we see there are three types of givers there. You got the reluctant one. And that might be the situation of, of giving your taxes and paying the government because you legally have to, while knowing your return won't be what it was a couple years ago, and I will not comment on that any further, the second one was under compulsion. And some of you might even be feeling that today. The preacher is making me feel like I should give more. When I hear that word compulsion and feeling like I should give, I think of my coworkers coming in and, and coming around with a sign-up sheet of who's going to give to their kids' soccer team field trip. I get a candy bar, though. The last one is the cheerful giver. This is the type of, this is the type of giving where you find that perfect gift for someone that you love. And the reason that you give it is simply because you love them. I'm talking engagement rings and things of that nature. Now, my favorite person to give to is my wife. <laughs> no, it's actually really selfish because she receives gifts better than anybody. She always has like a great like surprise face and she's super appreciative of it. So I'm never going to have the awful situation where I, here's myself and my gift, I give it to you and I get the nice. I, there's, there's no fear of that. I'm very blessed in that way. Um, and the reason I do those things, the reason I like to surprise her with concert tickets and things like that, I don't do that for her and then say, yeah, and she gets all happy. And I say, oh, it's because you're my wife and I know I should do this. You know, Chris said I had to do it. You know, I do it because I love her and I want to see her happy. Now, when we give to God, it should be the same thing. It should come from our hearts and reflect how much that we love him. It's not something we do from guilt, and certainly not something that we do to pay our way to heaven. You couldn't if you tried. How we spend the money we earn reflects who we are and what we value because we work so hard for it. It matters to God what we do with it and where it goes, 
because it was his to begin with. You would feel the same about your own investment if you gave it to somebody. You would care about what they did with it because it was originally yours. For more in-depth teaching, I realize today is really condensed and really want to just focus on how we manage our money from a bird's eye view. But Chris actually did a great four-week study called Money and the Glory of God back in February. And again, that's still up on our website, millcitychurch.net. It's also on our podcast. I highly recommend listening to it. He does one uh, sermon on earning, one on spending, one on saving, and one on giving. Because the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. I think I read online something more than 800 times. God God talks about money and, and management. For today, though, we just focus on the fact that it matters what we do with our money and our possession. The four ways that we act as good stewards of our money and our resources are by providing for ourselves and our families, avoiding unnecessary debt, helping those in need within the church and around the world, regularly and sacrificially giving back to God with a cheerful heart. To sum this all up, I found a really great quote. So if you have tuned out or fallen asleep or got mad because I was talking about money, come back. We're almost there. I found a cool website called BibleMoneyMatters.com. Now, I haven't gone through all of it, so if you go today and you find some bad advice, please don't yell at me. But I found a great quote from one of the writers, Paul Williams, that kind of summarizes stewardship as a whole. When we start to see our lives through the lenses of God's ownership, we make decisions based on eternal results. When we start to see our lives through the lens of God's ownership, we make decisions based on eternal results. Now, in theory, this is all really easy, what we talked about today. It's very easy to, to, know, to recognize, yeah, of course I need to provide for myself. Of course I should try to avoid unnecessary debt and overspending. I absolutely should help those in need, and I should regularly and sacrificially give back to God. But just because it's simple and it makes sense doesn't mean it's easy. Otherwise, why would we need to be told what to do with our money throughout all the Old and New Testament? At any point in our lives, we could, we could call out a sin and where, how we've managed money poorly or resources poorly. Maybe you saved too much out of lack of trust in God and you didn't give. Maybe you spent too much on yourselves and not those that you're supposed to care for. Maybe you ignored the needs of others. Or maybe we disobeyed God's call to give to his kingdom. Thankfully, though, we serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And even the Apostle Paul, when he messed up, he had this to say in Philippians three twelve through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christian, if you're here today and you've been born again, Jesus has made you his own, not because of how well you manage your money. And you can forget what lies behind. You can forget your past mistakes. You can give that to God, ask for repentance, and move on and press on towards the goal of being the best steward of everything that God has put in your control. You can do everything in your power to give him honor and display contentment with everything that he's given you. And honestly, true contentment that comes from being a believer is all that he has given. That leads us to 
the easiest way to being a great steward because if we're content in everything he's given us and everything that we already have, when we read and hear how we're supposed to give it back, manage it well, it should be easy because we know that he has us. Now, for those of you that are not in Christ today that would not consider yourself a believer, the good news is that you don't need to be perfect to approach Jesus just as Paul wasn't. Jesus' grace through salvation is available to anyone and to everyone that would decide to leave their old life of sin and turn and follow him. And that grace is enough to make you content during times of abundance and in times of want. I know we covered a, a broad kind of swath of stewardship, and honestly, there's so much more I would have loved to talk about um, for the sake of time. That is where we're going to stop for today. Uh, my prayer is that for those of you that are being good stewards of God's gifts, that you would be encouraged today, that you heard this word and you said, yes, God, I'm doing it, and you're going to keep doing it all the better. For those of you that needed to be challenged, maybe you're thinking about uh, how you spent your last paycheck or when's the last time I actually gave to church or helped somebody in need. I pray that God's word, not mine, maybe pricked your heart today and that'd be something you'd be thinking about. Wherever you're at, uh, I just pray that you heard God speak. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you own everything. And you should. You made everything. You're the wisest and you know what to do with it. God, we thank you that in your wisdom, you give to us and you provide for us all of our needs so that we can trust you and be content whether we have much or we have little. Lord, as we go out today, I pray that you would help us to be the best providers for ourselves and our families as we can, that we would take that responsibility seriously. Lord, that when we are tempted to overstretch and to buy things or pay for things that would put us greatly into debt and would inhibit us from being good stewards and managers of what you've given us, that you would help us fight that temptation, Lord. That you'd help us to fight the temptation to keep up with those around us. Lord, I pray that we'd be such good managers of everything you give us that we would be able to help those in need. God, that this church, the people here, would continue to be the awesome example that they are of helping their church family, of helping people pay for things that they, when they need help bringing them into their home and offering uh, a place to stay if they need to, God. Offering furniture for temporary residence, food, whatever it may be. Let us, let Mill City Church be a place that loves one another and is an example of this sacrificial help. Lord, as we continue to, to live as Christians and as we have an opportunity to even give today, I pray that we would give back to you and your kingdom in a way that is not reluctant, not compul under compulsion, that we would be cheerful as we write that check next week, as we click that number on the website, whatever it may be, Lord, that as we pray and give it to you, that we would be cheerful and we would be uh, expectant on what you would do with that money. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the ultimate example of a good steward because you gave up everything for us. We thank you for that. Thank you for loving us even when we're imperfect with our money and our resources. Help us to be more like you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.